pretty special episode. Uh, Suzanne Tang is joining us, making the drive from Topanga here to Los Angeles. And actually, this is the very first episode we're recording the newly opened Los Angeles Atelier here at the Yamaha Buena Park campus. And uh, welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much. I'm honored. First impressions of this facility? Very impressed. It's grand. It's, um, as I said when I locked in, it's very zen. It's peaceful here. And it's impressive. So if you hear any sounds in the background, it could be a, a drill, a lathe, an oboe, <laughs> a flute, a trumpet. Yep. Yeah, they're all at work fixing my fleet, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a, an interesting transition. You mentioned it was very zen here. And your um, your background and your current musical activities fit very well into that style of, I don't even know kind of how to classify your music, world music, new age, contemporary world music, contemporary new age. How do you describe yourself to people that ask, what kind of music do you play? Uh, well, in terms of the industry, those are the categories, the ones that you just named, but uh, it's, it's pretty much music from the heart, and it's, that might sound real hokey, but um, I didn't go out with the intention of creating a certain type of music when I started writing my music. It was really just evolved and came out as I developed um, along my journey as a composer and creating my own music. It's something very um, organic and unplanned. So you're saying you kind of found this niche rather than setting out to make world music or new age. This is just kind of how it happened. Yeah, definitely. And probably with any musician, you know, making music and then it gets categorized. But it's just definitely would just kind of start coming out of me and then just put into those categories. And because I'm into ethnic instruments and more peaceful style of music, it became world music and new age music. Your education and background are kind of interesting school on the East Coast in Boston, then graduate studies at UCLA's Department of Ethnomusicology. I can hardly even say that, <laughs> let alone know what that means. And then uh, PhD coursework focusing on music and healing. Yeah, well, the journey was I was um, actually going before uh, my, my Boston years, I was actually at an ag school in Northern California uh, studying to be a farmer. But I flute was my passion and my strength, and um, I, because I wasn't at a music school, I was definitely the star of the school, which actually, it, it gave me a great amount of confidence, and I always like to incorporate that story just because uh, what I thought could be a little detriment to me because I wasn't um, in a music school it turned out to be a real strength for me, so I went on to do my master's in classical music, I was 100% playing classical music. 100%. You know, practicing all day, living with my teacher, pursuing competitions. And then I met an African drummer who pretty much um, turned my world around. I got into drumming and um, improvising for the first time on my ethnic flute. I had one flute from China that had been given to me. And um, actually, I had a couple of Chinese flutes, but it was something that I'd studied in Taiwan as just a cultural exchange program, just learning tunes. And he asked me to play something for him. And I said, I couldn't really remember my tunes. And so I was like, just play. So I improvised something. And that was something that changed my life. And I started to, to discover the, the magic in playing music that wasn't on the paper. And so I, I spent 
a year of playing with this African troupe that was exploring different world musics, which brought me to ethnomusicology at UCLA. I wanted to return to the West Coast and um, learn more about all the different types of music I was playing in more of an academic setting, so it brought me here. And uh, that was that chapter. Since you've been here on the West Coast, your music has won a number of awards, some of the Regional Los Angeles Awards, plus Independent Music Awards, Best New Age Artist, Best World Music Artist. Those are some uh, some pretty lofty titles. Yeah, we've we've done well. It's um, I think we really create some really high quality CDs and recognized. Now this is with your band, right? Yeah, Mystic Journey. Exactly, and. Um, it's just, yeah, it's been nice. <laughs> what, is, what is the significance of the name Mystic Journey for the band? Well, it was years ago when I first started the band, and again, I didn't really plan to have a band. I had um, a band sort of created for me, and I was um, asked to perform at a benefit concert in Topanga. So at the night before we were playing, I was on the phone with my best friend, what are we going to name ourselves? <laughs> and uh, we just threw out words, and words that really resonated uh, were journey because the music is just for me having having traveled so much and, and felt that going on a journey with music was just a very empowering experience and exploring and feeling all these different exotic worlds through music was really what I wanted to convey but also not just in just an ordinary way uh, in a real mystical way because for me that was that's a huge part of my path and Mystic Journey, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here the name is still with you. Yeah. When you perform with the band, you've got quite a wide assortment of instruments. On your website, you list you know, a couple of dozen instruments, different flutes, all over the world. Um, that must be just an absolute logistical nightmare, not to mention a, you know, a musical challenge. Well... <clears throat> I always uh, give my husband a hard time because he's the drummer and he's he's he keeps collecting more than me <laughs> and his are bigger and so he takes up all the room in the house and when we're traveling he takes up all of our all of our luggage allotment. My flutes um, are small and they, they, they pack up into one big bag. I actually chose the flute when I was a kid because it was small and suddenly I've got this massive bag but he carries it <laughs> and then I you know a few I used to put them in my suitcase until I. They didn't, they didn't make it with me in time for the concert or they arrived when I was in Mexico. My alto flute wouldn't play. I think they thought it was some sort of bomb or something. They took it apart and it was put together wrong. It was a nightmare. So now I carry them all with me, but I just I have a rule that nothing that doesn't fit in the bags can't come with me, pretty much. Well, flute's a good choice then. Yeah, exactly. Are there some unique challenges of playing that many different ethnic instruments from a, an embouchure standpoint or a you know, each instrument is in a different key with different pitch tendencies. Definitely, definitely. Both embouchure-wise, I play the ney, which is a side-blown Turkish flute, or Egyptian. The Turkish one has had a slightly different mouthpiece. But they're played this way against the side of my mouth to an angle, I guess, 45 degrees. What is that? And that one is very hard on the embouchure. So after I've played that one, I go to a, a regular transverse flute. It's really good. Takes me a minute or two to adjust, and in performance that can be substantial. And then I play the zerna, and somehow yeah. I got into these crazy oboe instruments, and those are right around my own wrist. Really, totally tighten my cheeks. So I've just learned to adjust with them. And you know, if the mouth needs to relax, I just talk to the audience and 
shake it out a bit first. Um, in terms of keys, yeah, it can be confusing. Sometimes I'll put a couple of flutes out on the table and I'll grab the wrong one and I'm playing and I'm like, that's not the right one. <laughs> I'll put it down and try and correct myself musically. But uh, I try and keep it together just by doing it enough. A collection of instruments like that must have some interesting stories of, of back alleys and countries far, far away that, uh, you know, how you procured these instruments. What are some of the interesting stories for those horns? Well, I've got you know, probably a few hundred at home, and the, the best ones, of course the best ones I buy directly from the makers are given some magnificent gifts, but um, in terms of my travels, <coughs> I was once in Nepal and this vendor was following me around. I, he, you know, he came up and said, flutes, flutes, and I, I eyed his flutes and he, you know, he definitely showed interest, and once you show interest, they don't leave you alone. And he started off at an enormous price, which isn't enormous here, but for out there it was a lot. And he followed me around town for about two hours and came down to like one hundredth of his original price. And I ended up buying this beautiful flute that it does not have the most beautiful tone. It's a gorgeous flute to look at. And usually um, those are the flutes that are just great tourist items, they're lovely to look at. So they look nice on your wall, but it, you're not yeah. using them on the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I've got a couple of fun ones from travels and good ones. We actually went to Turkey. We spent. We we wanted to spend um, a lot of time finding good quality instruments, but unfortunately, we were, uh, we were led to the right neighborhood, the right stores by our friends uh, who know Turkey. But we went there on a Sunday. That was a mistake. So almost all the stores were closed. But I spent a good amount of time picking, hand-picking a bunch of zernas, which, um, you know, the oboes. <clears throat> and the hard part, of, part about that instrument is getting the reed to be the properly fitting reed, because I got a different, bunch of different size instruments and the vocal. And so he packed up the instruments, and I was so happy I got what I wanted. When I came back to the States, he had left my reeds and vocals back at the store. There was no way I could track him down, and I tried to phone, and you know, it was very small little store and I was so disappointed <laughs> so that was that was hard so I have to still track down reads that fit now for those guys. You can't just go to the corner store in Topanga and no, get certain reads. <laughs> no, I have a wonderful guy in the valley who customizes reads for me but it's a, it's a day journey. Maybe that could be a another niche for you to become the purveyor of fine ethnic music instruments. I wish. It's, it's hard enough for me to keep track of my own. I keep thinking I need an instrument doctor. So I, I can't do maintenance on them. I don't know how to fix things and make the leads. So I'm putting it out there. I need a doctor. <laughs> well, at least your regular instruments you can now bring here. Yes! I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so the the Yamaha instruments you play regularly on stage, you're playing the alto and bass flutes. Yeah, I love them. They're, they're beautiful. Beautiful, rich tone. I just, they're my main... Surprisingly, um, C flute has kind of fallen down on the list. And, you know, that was my primary instrument my whole life until um, I got into all this crazy world. But the alto flute is my number one instrument. I composed most of my pieces for alto, did most of my performance and my session work on alto. I would think for your style of music, the alto flute would be the you know music from the heart. It's a very yeah um, rich sounding instrument. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And it really, it, it can go a lot of places, you know. It's powerful, it's quiet, it's, it's got a whole huge range of expression. I love it.
list of recordings, movies, commercials that you've played on over the years is a, a pretty impressive list of things. I see Kleenex, <laughs> Pepsi, Johnny Walker, Murder, Murder She Wrote. Um, some some pretty interesting stuff. Any of that that sticks out as being, you know, a, a really interesting opportunity and an interesting story. Um, well, three hundred I did recently, and that was fun because that was just to see all the you know the advertisements after that. But Kleenex was great actually because it's um, solo alto flute, and it's a very funny commercial. It's a, a commercial with a, a monk. It's for the the Kleenex that came out recently with antibacterial properties in the Kleenex, <coughs> and um, he's. A monk, and he's very quietly looking at a turtle and a fish and a spider or something. And then um, he blows his nose and he realizes he looks at the, the box of Kleenex and it says kills 99% of bacteria. And he's like, oh my god, and he's of course not, you know, he can't kill anything. <clears throat> but um, it, it, there's no dialogue. So it's just alto flute and slight you know, pads, and then the composer. Um, put in uh, some kind of light percussion track at the end, but uh, he, he gave me kind of a guideline where I improvised pretty much the cue. Right what a nice job to go and just improvise for 10 minutes and here you're on a Kleenex commercial. Yeah, yeah, that was fun, that was a good one. Another interesting performance, uh, you had somewhat recently playing flute on the finale show for Survivor. Yep. The Survivor <laughs> China. Yep. Uh, you've got a nice clip on your website of you playing the band and playing flute and singing. Yes, that was an interesting story. I was um, part of the band with awesome musicians. Um, uh, Yamaha drummer Rick Moretta. And uh, just, it was a really fun gig. And then uh, the composer, Russ Landau, he asked me, um, I was telling him a story about how I, when I was a kid, I used to do a Chinese opera imitation, run around the house because my dad used to watch Chinese operas on TV. And um, so he said, oh, you should do that. And I was like, yeah, right, no way. <laughs> and so then he said, he came up to me later, he said, you know what, there's a piece we're doing that's going to be a joke piece. Why don't you do it then? I said, okay, only if it's something you guys are all going to do something strange on. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did it and in the rehearsal. And um, with free abandoned, did my Chinese speaking opera imitation. And then he comes up and said, the producers love it. So I had to do it, the performance, and it ended up being the featured spot. 20 seconds, which is a lot on national air, <laughs> doing singing. So that was actually a huge step for me to acknowledge that I'm out there doing something that's so not me. So here you went to college to be a classical <laughs> flutist, and now you're on TV doing mock Chinese opera singing. Chinese, I know. I, know. I, I think everyone who saw it probably thought it was some Chinese singer, and I was actually making it up. The words and <laughs> the music, I have to admit. <laughs> Well, still, being seen by 40 million people performing is uh, is no small feat. Yeah, that was fun. It was ex it takes fun. I've done the, the Survivor Show twice now, and it's always fun to do that. I bet quite a quite an atmosphere surrounding those. Yeah, I mean, it, there's people that just love that show, and I I don't watch it myself. But my sister and her kids love it, so I'm a star in their family now. It's great. <laughs>
your music looks to have taken you really all over the world to places that uh, you mentioned you've been to Himalayas, Guatemala, Bali, Singapore, Italy, Turkey, uh, Nepal. Well, any, any of those stand out in particular as amazing experiences? Oh yeah, I love to travel and um, I did a lot of it when I was younger and was really adventurous and the travel that was definitely the most mind cha um, life changing, mind changing and life changing was the Himalayas um, trek that I did three weeks in the mountains off the track. I was with a, um, a mountain man I had met and he said he'd take me on this journey so we went on a, a 19,000 foot summit. We went, um, we went to a um, Tibetan monastery and found a Sherpa. We went to ask if they could guide us to a Sherpa and one of the monks said, I'll be your Sherpa. So that's an interesting story. He was with us the whole time. <coughs> he brought his flute and we do his prayers and um, we all journeyed through experiences one day. We didn't have our um, tent with us. That's kind of another story. but. It was actually my birthday, and it was freezing, <laughs> and, and we had gotten separated from each other, and so um, he, our Shifa, had left our tent in one place and came to look, come, he came and found us at a lake, and we were just so happy we found each other. So we spent that night without a tent, without any food, <laughs> freezing. And then another day was when they, um, we were going to do a big summit, and they uh, took all of our... Um, all of our sleeping bag, no, we never separate from the sleeping bag, but we, they took the food and everything up above. And for about half a day, I was all alone by myself in the middle of nowhere and could hear nothing but avalanches. And until they could come back and get me, they had to carry the stuff up the mountain and come back and get me. And so it's just things, endless things where, I, you know, we had to traverse a cliff. And um, my friend said, that, you know, just don't look down and follow what I say exactly, do everything I said. And I, did what he said, and I guess, oh my God, we just did like level five mountaineering, whatever, and you know, I, looking down, it was a straight downfall, and it, just some things I was like, wow, I did that, but it's, it was amazing. It was the most gorgeous, powerful trip that I've had, definitely. Well, what a great opportunity to, Absolutely. You know, to see the world. One of the activities you've been uh, doing recently are some of the uh, camps and workshops uh, you've noted on your website, a Native American mm -hmm. workshop. Uh, tell me a little bit, about, bit more about the teaching okay, yeah. that you do in your teaching mm -hmm. activities. Well, I have a, a, I do these workshops that I'm doing one this weekend where I, I teach them the Native American flute beginners, usually, in three hours, and it, it comes with the flute, and they can all play at the end of the workshop, which is so gratifying. It's an easy flute to learn once you have a certain way, you know, just I teach them the real basics and enough for them to understand that you can be really free and create your own music with the five-note scale, the pentatonic scale, it creates music instantly. They're not stuck in their mind of, I can't play anything you know, until I learn something. You, you can make music immediately. And um, then I do the Yamaha, the, the workshops with the other instruments like I'm doing with the Yamaha um, clinics, where I teach about the world instruments, the world flutes, and also you know, what, what I've done with the, the alto and the bass. And then I used to teach, um, I, I do workshops with, um, you know, yoga retreats and different things like that, but um, the camp that I worked at for about four or five years is called Lark in the Morning. It's a world music camp with 400 people and about 40 teachers, and it's amazing. It's like 
music 24 hours a day, people playing bagpipes from Spain and Bulgaria and Irish sessions over here, and then there's a Middle Eastern camp goes all night by the fire, and you're belly dancing, and that's where I learned about a lot of the instruments that I play and learned how to play them, and that's also where I got the instruments. So that was a really wonderful experience in my life. I think I'll go back now that my son's a little bit more family. It sounds like your, your career is ever evolving, and you mentioned it kind of in an organic way. You never know what instrument you're going to find next or where the, this journey is going to take you. Yeah, it definitely just is taking its own path, you know. Of course, I have dreams and visions, and, and you know, I try and manifest them, but I'm just open to whatever comes. And it's exciting. You know, we're making our next record, which is going to be more of a dance album. That's something new and exciting. And, you know, I have uh, uh, my eye on a very special soundtrack, so the composer loves our music, so I'm really hoping that one comes through. <laughs> that would be a dream come true. It's my favorite filmmaker out there. So. You'll have to let us know if that comes, Absolutely. comes about. How can people who'd like to learn more about what you do and your music, how can they find out more about you? Our website. We've got our own website, SuzanneTang.com, and we've got our MySpace page, which um, is MySpace.SuzanneTang. We have links on our website that go to other sites that have video and things of interest. Your so albums are for sale there. You see yeah. a list of upcoming performances. Yep. Yeah. Right, SuzanneTang.com and MySpace.com slash SuzanneTang. So, uh, Suzanne, thanks for coming. This is our, our very inaugural podcast here in the uh, Maha Atelier. Thank you for being our guest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really, it's great that I'm the first one. Thanks for your support of Yamaha Flutes. Oh, thank you. I love flutes. Really, uh, you know, interested in what you're doing and, and uh, absolutely love the music. Great. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks.